Good evening, good evening, <laughs> evening. For the second time, um, we had a bit of a technical hitch. It wasn't a technical hitch, actually, I fell off my chair. So um, we are back um, live and direct from my very new bedroom because um, I don't have an office. So we had to improvise. And the beautiful and most wonderful human being, Charlotte Pace, has agreed to come on and have a conversation about anything to do with counselling and extreme trauma. So Charlotte, how are you? Hi Liz, um, I am very well thank you actually. Um, yeah, I'm doing all right today. Well that's, that's amazing, doing a lot better than me, falling off. <laughs> well well I, haven't, yeah, I haven't fallen off my chair today so you know that that's a win. I didn't realise that was a win until I saw you but yeah. It's a win now. <laughs> you know, and and due to falling off and having to reposition myself, I've got a proper granny sweat going on now and all like the struggle is real. Like who knew? <laughs> who knew? Um, so Charlotte, tell us. I mean, I know you personally, like we mm -hmm. you know, you're one of those strong dear women in my life. Um, the reason I asked you on here because I know the work that you're doing um with people that are suffering bereavement, but um extreme trauma so obviously like tell us a bit about your journey on how you sort of come around to doing that work mm, okay so um so I'm currently um being vet I'm a vet nurse and unfortunately because I'm not a young spring chicken anymore um so I'm having to retrain which you know as I'm sure people listening to this sort of you know I'm I'd like to say mid 40s, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm late 40s, quite late 40s. And, you know, and so starting a, another career and retraining is, is quite challenging. Um, and I was thinking a lot about what I could do. And one thing that uh, a dear friend of, of ours actually said, well, why don't you use your bad experiences for good? And I thought about it a lot and thought that actually, yeah, counselling is something that obviously I've experienced myself for many years. Um, I had a breakdown, um, a, a nervous breakdown in 2012. Um, and, you know, ever since then, I've been in counselling to and, you know, why don't I use those experiences to, to help others? So it's a long, slow journey that I've been on. Um, I started uh, training, so it's a three-year course that I've been doing so far. So the first one was a level three, and then I've been doing a level four diploma. And with the level four diploma, I was allowed to see actual people. Wow. Um, yeah, I know that was so so scary the first time I did it, and for the first time, I'm nearly at the end of um, qualifying. So I've got uh, just a, a few more hours to do now. And um, yeah, and then I will hopefully get my my last bit of paperwork signed off and I will be a fully fledged counsellor. Um, and so we had to get a placement. And so my placement has been um, with a, a fantastic organisation called the Road Victims Trust. Um, they are doing a lot of stuff. They're mainly based in three counties. Um, however, because of COVID and being online, obviously, you know, I've got clients in Yorkshire as well. So we're, you know, we're all around, not just Cambridgeshire and, you know, um, North Ants and Hertfordshire. So, so yeah, so I started with them and I've been seeing clients with them for, for over a year now, slowly building up my hours. Um, so that I can become a qualified counsellor. And is that the arena that you, you that you want to specialise in? Is it you know like extreme trauma, trauma and road traffic accidents? And um, I think that it's fantastic experience. Um, I'm not sure that I do. Um, you know, as I said, I'm a vet nurse, so I'm kind of thinking about going into to being sort of a counsellor for the veterinary profession, because actually um, suicide, veterinary, the veterinary profession is the highest suicide profession um, wow. that there is. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And and I've been aware of that. Um, when I worked at the Royal Veterinary College, I was there for 10 years. And um, when I was there, whilst, whilst I was working there, two students committed suicide on the campus I was working at wow. and their students. Wow, that's a, that, I mean, I didn't even realise that um, that was even a statistic or even a thing. And I mean, that's really quite ignorant of me. But that's, you know, you know, to have such a high suicide rate. Do you know what's behind that? Is there any sort of research why that is? There is starting to be research now, and I'm actually part of a, a research project actually looking at sort of three aspects of it, really. So one of it is your own experiences. Um so they're they're talking about obviously people who have who have tried to commit suicide in our profession, but also those with suicide ideation. Um, so which is where I fall into my my category of, of having thoughts about it um, and quite serious thoughts and plans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the you know what access do veterinary professionals have? Because obviously you know we deal with with things and cases where we've got access to that kind of thing you know so it's it's a it's an easy option for a lot of our profession to to do that if they're committed and they want to do it and then the final bit is is the priest the project that i'm helping with is looking at how how we stop that because we still need things that we've got in place in the practice so the drugs and equipment but you know how do we how do we make it a safer place for people to work in um you know and the thing with a lot of like the veterinary profession you're saying that you don't know about it is because you know people don't talk about it mm. um you know there's there's lots of stories about it and you know we i was in a meeting the other day with um parents of a of a young young vet who i think was 23 or 24 and he he committed suicide oh my God. and yeah yeah and you know because it is because obviously there are the means there but also there is also there's the the thing of the the pressure that that we get you know it's like like with doctors and stuff like that obviously it's a very intense business it's a very emotionally as well as a physically training job but also on top of that it's you know, it, it. We have the money pressures. That's where we differ from the NHS, because you know there there isn't, as I'm sure many many people watching this will know, there's not a an NHS for pets. You have to pay, mm. and the vets have to make ends meet at the end of the day. And then there's the out of hours work. You know, so there's you know a lot of night working and shift work and emergencies. So you know, putting all of that on, and then you know, students that have committed suicide. You know, they incredibly bright but the money of going to university and it's not like a three-year course it's a five-year course so there's all those loans and you know they it's a lot of pressure on them to succeed and to to be what their dream has always been Mm. I suppose because I I mean for me I'm not going to speak for anybody listening this I've never really looked upon the or even even thought about the veterinary profession and and what goes into it, but you're quite right. It is like going, you're doing going and doing a medical degree just around animals. I say mm-hmm. just around yeah. animals, and oh, I certainly couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, the pressures that that come, and I think that's horrific that you have such a high suicide rate. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, and people always say to me, "Oh, yeah, well, what about farmers?" Because like they they do, and they do. I'm, I'm not negating it at all that that farmers do because they they have a very isolated life you know and from the farmers that I've spoken to you know they they're very quite often well they're quite often sort of pulled into addiction and, and things like that but you know with us you know and I'm quite sure it's something that's not talked about but I'm quite sure there's there's addiction issues within within my profession and you know I'm hoping that Having the support there means that people can talk about these things. And I think you've just, I think in any profession, you know, and especially in those professions where there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of stress and there's, you know, there's financial commitments. I think addiction goes hand in hand because it's like a release valve, isn't it? You know, um, it's it's sort of a a get out and a release from reality. And I can only Mm. just imagine what it must be like when you're under such high pressure. 
Mm, absolutely, it's it's a really easy trap to fall into because you know how how do you decompress from a day where you know a lot of people don't know kind of what we what we do and you know and it it can be because you can have a, a terrible case and then you can have a client shouting in your face and I'm not saying that that doctors don't have that at all but you know how, how do you relax and decompress from that and deal with it you know and and there are there are these coping mechanisms you know that people pick up and I don't blame them for it but it's you know it's not dealing with the problem it's just suppressing the feelings and the emotions and you know at some point it, it may go wrong yeah and I suppose in terms of the counselling that you want to do you'll be touching on some of that as well won't you? you're not going to just be dealing with you know little lost souls you know wanting to commit suicide but you're going to have a lot of people that have got addiction issues that are going to be coming mm-hmm. to you as well yeah yeah and also I mean the the, you know because you asked about whether or not I was going to sort of keep going with acute bereavement um but I think to be honest with you like I mean I thoroughly enjoy what I'm doing and I'm not going to lose the clients that I've got that's part of the the placement agreement that I have is that I stay with my clients until they have finished which is absolutely fine you know it's it's what I signed up for um but you know the bereavement side of it well bereavement touches all of us doesn't it (laughs) you know it uh, you know and what's helped my training and where I alluded to about my own problems in life you know my husband died suddenly at when I was 32 so that was 16 years ago now and you know you, you just never know do you you know some people are very affected by parents death or death of children or or whatever bereavement is all around us and you know and also of pets I mean mm-hmm. you know it but it, it touches all of us so having this as a, a real grounding can only be beneficial to me in, in the future mm. I think it's, it's intriguing you laugh then when you see even with pets because we we sort of I don't know, I'm not going to use a word, I, you know, like if someone's pet dies and it doesn't sort of land with you as heavily as it does when you say human being, but actually people's pets become part mm-hmm. of their family, become part mm-hmm. of, like, you know, they're a living, breathing, moving thing, you know. But I would have done the same as you, kind of like brushed it off with a little bit of a laugh, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's just as serious. You know, right, bereavement is all around it. I, you know, when my father died, it hit me hard. It, it was, and I still think that that stays with me today, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And actually, there has been some sort of correlation between losing a pet and, and like the attachment that we form. This is like one of my favourite theories in counselling is attachment theory. And it's like how you relate to that. So, for example, um, and I can only use me as an example, but the relationship I have with my cat, and I know this sounds absolutely bonkers, but the relationship I have with my cat is actually the longest relationship I've had with anyone it's outgone it's outlived the relationship I had with my husband because he's been my cat's now been with me for 12 years you know I was with my husband for eight years um you know that that cat is there unconditionally there every day for me and you know people do have these attachments to their pets and you know if you kind of think about it you know it is I know that, you know, there's a lot of problems in saying that, you know, that you're furry babies and all of that kind of thing. But, you know, I don't know if you know this, Liz, but I actually write a gratitude list every day and I can guarantee you my cat is on that list every day. I I, I was aware of your gratitude list, actually. I, I was aware <laughs> you, you do do a gratitude list every day. I do one the same. And like for me, I haven't got any pets, not at the moment, but my child is always on my gratitude list. So I completely get that your your cat is. I mean, I remember when I had dogs, they were my be all and end all. You know, they were, you know, and I very sadly had to give my dogs up because, um, I mean, everybody that knows this podcast know my, my, knows my history, but because I was in the throes of addiction, I couldn't afford to look after them. And I had to take a really hard decision on, okay, I'm trying to get clean and live a, live a life of sobriety, whatever better word, in recovery, but I can't afford to look after these dogs. And they, mm. not that I ever neglected them, but one was getting old and had vet fees, I couldn't pay them. 
Mm. So I had to make that choice. They went to very good homes, by the way, just like to let all the viewers know. But <laughs> they did go to very good homes. One's probably dead now because she was getting really old. But, you know, that that having that attachment to an animal and and it being, you know, quite into like children, fur babies. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't Indeed. think, if I couldn't afford to feed Oscar, I don't think I could actually get rid of him. Are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I'd have many takers. What do you think? <laughs> He's lovely, but yeah, I, I am not a child person. <laughs> Is that like you can keep him? <laughs> You know, I'm sure there's 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 better homes. That that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for those that are listening, I'm not looking to sell Oscar. Just to reiterate that. Yeah. yeah. I can I can back that up. Um. That yeah, that's definitely not the case. But you know, the the, the relationship we do have with pets, it, it is that a significant relationship. If you don't like me, you don't have anybody else that that you can so it is it's a significant relationship and like I say you know I have been with him longer than I have and it's probably been the most happiest relationship I've ever been in Very <laughs> including my childhood I would say yeah cat don't argue yeah yeah <laughs> he wants feed and as soon as I fed him he uh, he disappears so you know that's uh yeah perfect isn't it really so uh, you, you've been a veterinary nurse you specialize though don't you you're not you know you uh because I do know a little bit about you. So, like, tell the listeners what is it you specialise in? Because I know you've done lots of papers and stuff like that. Uh, so I specialise in uh, cardiology for for nurses. So it's very kind of you because you are aware that I am I'm having a book published in October um, on it, which is quite quite something. Um, so yeah, so I've been nursing for 20 years, over 20, 22 years now, it's 2022. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I did, I, I, during my time at the vet college, I specialized, um, and got some qualifications that you can only get in America. And, um, yeah, it was, it was my way of dealing with the death of my husband, to be perfectly honest. You know, I I didn't know what to do with myself. And so, you know, I might drink a bit too much of an evening or I would be working and I would be trying to, to, to prove myself. And I think that also tapped into, you know, my, my childhood stuff, which is I want to prove myself. I want to I want to be someone. I want to be something. And I'm hoping when this book comes out that then I can stop doing that. You know, I can stop trying to to be somebody that has achieved because I still haven't got to that. And I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm still trying to be comfortable with with me. And it sounds daft. You know, I'm 48 and I'm still not comfortable with me. But at some point, I'm going to have to stop sort of chasing that dream and and actually get comfortable with me and that I hope will coincide with being a counsellor and helping other people to to do that because I know other people have those problems as well it's almost like overachieving so you can prove that you're good enough and that you can get some validation that actually you are an amazing human being but Mm. but all of that stuff actually is within Mm. because I happen to know you and you know I know and and you are an amazing achiever like you've got a book coming out there ain't many people and and it's not a novel or romantic like shindig it's a technical book isn't it mm. yes and you you see when I'm talking about you get this blank look as if to say is she about to like give me compliments and <laughs> tell me what a good human being I am I'm just gonna go blank <laughs> whereas you know, the mm. stuff that you do, I mean, you you know, I kind of nurture that part of me. I ain't a great mm. achievers. I really ain't. I've got no degree whatsoever. I've barely got a, you know, a GCSE qualification. In fact, I haven't. I've got, um, I shouldn't really say that on a podcast, but anyway, who cares? But for me, my greatest achievement is that I am really comfortable with who I am. 
You know, I'm not saying I don't ever get those moments of not feeling good enough or, you know, wanting people to give me that external affirmation and and tell me, oh, you're all right. But actually, generally, I'm good with like this, who I am Mm. and who I present and and, and what I stand for. And like, I know that you, 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 like, I love you dearly. You know what I think of you. But I wonder if it will ever be enough. You know, like you're getting a book Mm. coming out. Yeah. And I do, you know, I mean, like getting the qualifications wasn't enough. And then I did some teaching qualifications because I've been, I was teaching for a while and, you know, and I still lecture now. I was like lecturing this afternoon, in fact, actually, for two hours. Can I talk for two hours uninterrupted? Yes, I can. That's what we proved, <laughs> proven this afternoon. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, like the, the relationship that I have with you that is you know that that's what attracts me because I heard you talking to some of my friends and and I thought when you were talking and I thought you know what like that that ability to to recognize who you are and to like that person is something that I desperately crave mm. you know and and like you say, it has to come from within because I have almost this kind of, again, it's a kind of a counselling term, this splitting. So I can be the person who's written a book and I can be the person who's who's becoming a counsellor. But then there's the other part of me, which, you know, you have seen because, you know, I'm using you to to help me find that part within me to to believe in myself because the two parts are very separate they Mm. are me but they're very separate Mm. and like I say that that is what I've learned from you is that you show me that you know through your own experiences how how deep this stuff goes and acknowledging it and then and then challenging it Yeah. yeah and it does come down to sometimes doesn't it it comes down to that really difficult decision of I can carry on like this or I can change you know what can I change I can change how I think about me I can't change what you think about me I can change what I think about me but is it said that yeah <laughs> but is it intriguing that actually even most people that you would ask would would give you nothing but compliments and you'd glaze over yeah and when you were talking about your achievements you just touched on two and you brushed over them very quickly you know like you know I'm becoming a counsellor and and I've got a book coming out but actually (laughs) lecture you teach you know you're a veterinary nurse who specializes in a really you know um an area which was only only you could only learn in America you know you've got a book coming out which isn't just like a romantic novel about a bit of cock it's actually you know a technical book which had to have but I had to get that word in there I don't know why I know you did I know you did um and the thing is, they say to talk about what you know, and it's been so long, Liz, that uh, you know I'm I'm talking about cat hearts and dog hearts. <laughs> Much oh, more relevant. I didn't think I was going to Oscar. <laughs> right in the middle of a podcast, I have my child asking me where his coat is at half past seven at night. Like I did say to him. Viewers, again, apologies, but it's summer holiday in your in your wardrobe. <laughs> Do you know what I've noticed as well? Whenever I say the C word, he seems to appear. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but yeah, as I was saying, very intriguing how you kind of skimmed over your achievements and actually... <clears throat> when you look at your achievements, you let you, you've got a book coming out, you're, you're becoming uh, a counsellor and you're a veterinarian there. So that's huge. Mm. Like you've glazed over again. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at Oscar, actually. <laughs> he put in his coat, oh, bless him. He's gone downstairs now. <laughs> Whilst wearing his train, you know, he come upstairs with his trainers on as well. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> We had a good innings, though. We had, like, a half an hour before he started to, to like... Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I think, though, Liz, that, that you've kind of, you know, in, in a roundabout way, I think you've you've really nailed it, is to actually, being a woman is really quite difficult because, you know, yes, OK, you know, I've, I've, I've done blah, blah and whatever, 
But like I do that alongside trying to not show that I'm weak, to to show that, you know, I'm this amazing person and I can cope with everything. You know, and you as a mother, you know, you have to not only provide uh to like provide income for you, to put a roof over yours and Oscar's head, to provide Oscar with what he what he needs. You know, and again, there's this pressure that you have to be this person and you know, we must be in relationships that we must be doing this. And I it's just genuinely, I think, quite difficult yeah. to to get come to terms with that. Mm. And then to become comfortable with who you are, though the dark and the light yeah. of who that, that person is. <clears throat> and, and, and on a generally, I'm quite good, not always, but I'm quite good at accepting, you know, that I'm a fuck up, but I'm a good fuck up. Like um, mm. the qualities that I have as a woman and as a human being, I, I go into each day trying to do good. I go into each day trying to accomplish something better than I did the day before. And that might be something small, like doing a podcast with somebody and, you know, sharing it to whoever needs to hear it and, and making that light go on in someone's life is, is beautiful, you know? And you're right, as women, mm. nothing against men, because I can't even talk from a place of being a woman. I ain't a geezer. But I think for women, you know, we're we're told that we have to parent as, as well as we can, but then we have to have a full-time job and behave like we haven't got children when we're doing a full-time job. You know, it's, we get really confused. Yeah. We've got to be strong and fierce, but then demure and pretty. Like, which one is it? Yeah. I actually, well, there was yeah. an amazing woman on TikTok. Um, can't even think of her name because I've just had brain fog. And she was saying exactly this and what she was saying. Like, it, it's like a, a contradiction in terms. We're supposed to be mm. everything to everybody. But where are we? Mm. Where are we to us, you know? Mm. Absolutely. I think I've said to you before, I just, like, the, the world is, is just stacked against us as women. And so, you know, because like, I am, it's no secret. I've got a, a letter proving that I am, as I say, my certificates prove I'm in the menopause, you know, and like, you know, the, the company that I work for doesn't have a menopause policy, you know, but yet, you know, it, it plays havoc with your hormones yeah. and goodness knows what else, mm-hmm. you know, and yet, you know, the, we, do, we just have to, again, just carry on. I have to be level-headed. I need to be calm. I need to do this. And then the pressure I put myself on, which is I have to be the best. You know, there's, there's no room for error in any of that. But this whole thing, um, which I know we've t- spoke about before, but there's a fantastic book called Invisible Women. And like even like the first chapter in this book talks about how it's it's I think the title, the title of the chapter is called How Can Snow Clearing Be Sexist? And if you just think when it snows, I mean, you know, at the moment we're sitting here, it hasn't rained for years in Cambridgeshire. But, you know, when when it does snow, the white stuff that comes out of the sky, that then like when we we clear the, the snow, you clear it so that people can get in the work so you have these main roads that are cleared who generally goes to work men the women will be pushing push chairs or wheelchairs on the pavements are they cleared no if you look at like the the london tube map look at how that is that everybody can get in but again where are women's responsibilities they're taking their their mum maybe to the hospital then they come back then they might be picking up the kid from playgroup. Then they might be going sort of down here to go to the shops. You know, women aren't generally, well, obviously, I mean, I'm saying this as a, you know, as, as an absolute blanket, which is an absolute lie. But, you know, we kind of go round the circle, but the tube map is, is, is so that people can get in and out as quickly as possible. Mm. You know, and so, yes, how this is where I think that the world is is stacked against us and the signs of a heart attack, the classic signs that we all know of a heart attack are for men. Women don't do it like that. No, I know. You know, we don't, and it's not shouted at. And the thing is, like you said, I've got nothing against blokes at all. You know, I even married one, you know, I've got nothing, 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 nothing problem with them. But the fact is that society is stacked against us. And until we can level that playing field, we have to acknowledge that things are, are more difficult. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I agree with you. And I think, 
you know, and, and I'm going to say again, this is not about bashing men. You know, men are great. Mm-hmm. I've got some amazing men in my life. But actually, when you look at what they're taught and what we're taught as girls and, and women, and the messages are very different. You know, it's you know, the messages for both are very confusing. But to succeed and to be set up, it's, it, you know, like, for example, you have you get set down, you have a family. Like, I was always a working mum. Like there was never any confusion about that. But my ex-husband, and I'm not slamming him, he'd go to work, come home and sit on the couch. I'd go to work, I'd go and get the child, come home, do the shopping, do all the housework, while still working a full-time job. And and it was a given. It's not something that we ever discussed. It wasn't anything that <clears throat> got a bit of a frog in my throat. It wasn't anything we ever discussed. It wasn't like he said, oh, you've got to go and do this. It just we fell into those realms and those mm. role responsibilities. It's like for women that we're expected to work today and go out, we're also still expected to look after the house and still look after the children with no support of most men. I'm not going to say all, and mm. I'm not saying my ex-husband made me do it. It was just we fell into them roles. Like even me, yeah. and I'm quite forward thinking on how us women should start supporting each other and thinking about each other you know like it's something I've been looking into recently maybe about doing a sister circle you know and that's not about feminism either it's about you know jumping into our our divine feminine with encouraging the masculine as well you know and and I really feel like I've gone off a tangent then and my brain's just gone (laughs) shut down literally my brain just went yeah, yeah shut up literally mm. yeah Sorry. that that also happens <laughs> and that was my point that's where I was going with this because you started saying about the menopause and how there's no menopause policy at where you mm. work and it's like it's a real thing I can be in mid-flow and all of a sudden my brain just decides to switch off yeah and yeah. I never had that before or mm. I sat here and and it's a real physical thing it's not mm. something that I'm making up. When you have that hormone imbalance, which is essentially what's happening with, with, with you know, the menopause, it can really affect you. And again, I've gone. <laughs> change the subject, Charlotte. Change the subject. Okay. Well, we can, because then you've got things like, you know, the way that the Johnny Depp and the Heard thing was reported. You know, and it's like, you know, people who say, oh, we don't live in a sexist society. And I don't know what happened. I'm not taking sides because I wasn't there. Yeah. But you just look at the reporting of it and it's so sexist. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm kind of steering off of that because you're going to get, I don't like, and the thing is, is I'm with you. It was very sexist reporting. And and I'm not either, either. I'm not, you know, interested in taking sides. I wasn't there. Whatever happened, horrific, you ended up in court. <clears throat> but you're right. The, the 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 level of reporting was really sexist. And mm-hmm. it's a shame because it should be a level playing field. You know, having those conversations about equality and most people you have that conversation with, well, you know, you can work. Mm. Got quality. Mm. quality goes so much deeper than just as a woman I can work and have a child now you know that equality is about changing society's belief systems and their views on things of what male and female roles are today you know it's Mm. it's 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 outdated Mm. it is but the but all of it is outdated You know, like like I say, even even snow clearing is outdated because we do we do that. But it's true though. Yeah. If something yeah. as you know as as kind of like silly as that, you know, is sexist, then it all is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the snow plaything. Sorry, I get really disturbed. My m- brain just went mum brain. Child come upstairs. I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> no, but it is, it is it's very outdated. Yeah. It's really hard trying to do a podcast and keep a conversation going. Like it was so much easier in the other house. I'm not even sure why. But um yeah. Charlotte. Yes. What else can we talk about? <laughs> oh, Goodness, what else do we talk about? Well, I, 
I guess I mean, the the other thing I guess that you know we can we we've always got space for is how childhood affects you. Yes. You know, and today, like, mm-hmm. do you do you feel that your upbringing has affected who you are today? One hundred percent. you know like I don't tend to sort of chat about mum and dad because they're both they've both passed and there has to be an element Mm. for me I'm not talking for anyone but for me there had to be an element of forgiveness there had to be an element of no longer bashing them because they're not here like they have they've had the ultimate happen to them and there was no really amends or reconciliation between me and my parents Mm -hmm. I was actually uh, you know I was actually talking to my sister, one of my sisters about this the other day, and I mean, her is speaking, um, which is really nice. But yeah, I think I am fiercely independent, but which can be quite destructive at times because you know being left to your own devices as a kid and try and, and not knowing what parent you're going to get at any given point to having to monitor the room and adjust accordingly then make, mm-hmm. makes me, I think, very fiercely independent. I think one thing that really come out of it, though, is that I parent from a really different... Well, I try to, because I do catch myself sometimes. I, par- I parent from a really different place today, you know? Because mm. a real free thinker, and and I try to encourage that, even town to him doing stuff like that, you know, mm. because he's being cheeky. I mean, what do you... Mm. What, what's your take on it? Um, I I think that it it's hugely important. Um, and you know, like when I said about attachment theory being one of like my favourite counselling things, because you know that really does like how how you attach to people, how you bond with people, and that comes from what you're shown as a child. And you know, you saying that that you've parented in a specific way, I deliberately decided not to have children because I didn't, I just didn't want to do, I didn't want a child that felt the way that I did. Yeah. And, you know, and at that, you know, I, again, you know, you can make these decisions not to have children or to have children, you know, and some people don't make that decision. It's taken out of their hands, but it's, yeah, it, it does. I mean, that it has shaped who I am yeah. because I have not gone down that road because I don't want to repeat it. And I can't trust myself, can't mm. trust myself. And that's a sad thing. And, you know, and it, it, it does, you know, sometimes I look at it and I think, you know, look at these people with their 2.4 children and their great big SUV on the driveway and fancy holidays and stuff and and all that and you think well you know and the you know the the beautiful husband and you think well you know is that you know there are times where you think why can't I have that you know yeah. why why can't I but you know we 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 are a product I really do believe of of what we we had when we were children mm, definitely I mean you know, I choose I'm, and I actively try and break that chain of how I was parenting and and for my parents they did it you know they did with they did what they did could with the tools I had at the time but even though I consciously make an effort and you know with me and my parenting I consciously mm-hmm. make an effort to do the different I still catch myself falling and, and be like oh god that was my mum or oh my god my dad used to say that you know and still catch myself and trip over it and it's almost like once that's happened or once that incident happened the damage is done like, you mm. know, you keep repeating this same parenting style and you can, okay, well, I need to undo that now and to, you know, try and change that. But if I'm not floating in a particularly good place, Oscar doesn't get me being reasonable, he gets me shouting at him. No child mm. is shouting, but that's all I used to get. You know, dismissive, you know, you're unimportant, go away, you're getting in my way. And I've had to catch, over the last seven years, he's very lucky he's only seven, I've had to catch myself doing that a lot. A lot. Mm. And one thing I promise is that he would never feel how I felt as a child. And I felt irrelevant, irrelevant. Mm. And I was in the way, you know, get out of the way, dismissive. In, and as, as as I just said, as much as I try not to do that with Oscar, it's very easy to slip into it because it's what I was taught. Consciously, mm. I've took that on. And I think it's really hard not to pass on. I was like you, he's not in the house, so we're okay. I was like you, I didn't want children. Mm. I didn't want children. You know, and 
I would not be without Oscar, but I think he's the my greatest gift to the world, mm. my greatest challenge. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is, and you know, because I, I, I have gone down that road, and I, I have, but I do have a goddaughter who I, I absolutely adore, and when she got to 13 and I thought good god like I had this overwhelming sense that when I was her age I was trying to kill myself and I thought if she if I knew she felt that way like I mean it's just dreadful isn't it you know that you think a, a, a child that you know that you've loved like I held her when she was a baby you know and and all of that and if bundle of joy ever felt that sad it it just it absolutely breaks my heart but yet you know that's where I come from yeah you know wanted wanted to die at, at such a such a young age and I think you know just coming from being a and coming from a place where you know when I was a child I just I wanted to be someone different and be somewhere different if and and wanted to take myself out of reality you know, mm. one thing that I do try and do with Oscar is that no matter what, he talks to me. Like, an example, quite recently, like, moving house and that, and I kept checking in with him, kept checking in. I mean, he's like, yeah, I'm all right, Mum, no worries about it. Pulled up the petrol station about a week before we bought the house, and he's like, Mum, I feel really anxious about moving. He's seven. He's seven. Mm. And for me, okay, we just pulled up the petrol station. There was some behind me, but I thought, they can fucking wait. My child just mm. told me he's anxious about moving. It's a huge move. We're moving out of the home he's only ever known. Me and his dad are divorced. And I just stopped and I took a moment to say to him, okay, what? Well, explain what you like. But the fact that my seven-year-old child can say to me, Mum, I am feeling anxious about moving, actually. And then he mm. divulged all the, all the wires around it. That's come from me. Yeah. What I mean yeah. by that is that I have created this space for him to feel safe enough to say, mum, I feel this, or mum, yeah. I feel that. You know, in another example, you know, I lost my shit with him once. Like, the, the crime didn't justify my reaction. And when I'd calmed down, he just sat there and said, mum, that wasn't okay. That wasn't okay. <laughs> Told mm. me about myself full on. Mm. And I suppose from where I constantly check in with myself about how I'm parenting him, I allow him that, I afford him that space of mm -hmm. being able to be brutally honest with me. You know, imagine me losing my shit. I'm quite fiery. And then when I calm down, him having the ability to go, mum, that weren't okay, yeah? That weren't okay, you talking to me like that. You know, I yeah. think that's really important. That, and I do believe if my child ever felt away, he would come and say, mum, I'm feeling really sad. Or, well, I'd, I'd like to think so. Yeah, because yeah. the thought of your goddaughter at 13 not having that space, it, it, it made my heart, like, break a little, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and and I, I do get that. But also, I think it's important that even though he, he says that, but also that, the, that those feelings are given space they're given airtime and you can discuss it. You know, with, with my feelings when I was younger, it was just shut down. Yeah. You know, and that that thing of like, yeah, we you don't. And this is where I've struggled in later life. I don't know how to communicate how I'm feeling. And so, like you, I can be quite fiery. Or you know, the adjective that was used about me the other day it was I'm, I'm quite prickly sometimes. And it's like, well, yeah, you know. That that that's my hedgehog safety mechanism, the prickly thing. Because if I, you know, there is a soft underbelly, but you come anywhere near me with any form of threat or that I perceive as a threat, I I just go into a ball of a hedgehog and like mm. woe betide you if you if you try to get get close to me. Mm, because when you were a child and you try to express how you were feeling, you were shut down. Like mm. stop crying or I'll give you something to cry for. You know all these things that we heard as children. And yeah. then it's really hard to get vulnerable and go, okay, well, if people that are going to love me and protect me were telling me this, mm. you outsiders are going to get my prickliness. You're not going to get me being open. I think you're right. It's allowing that space for those feelings to come through as well. Absolutely. thing I was always told was the, I'll give you something to cry about, but also that you've got a chip on your shoulder. That was the favourite one, you know, and it's, it's like, well, you know, like, it, and so I always thought like, it, 
it doesn't matter what I'm feeling because it's it it's not being heard, it's not valued, and nothing changes. Yeah. So you might as well just keep it all kind of in because otherwise, yeah, well, the problem is you, and that's not helpful. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a lot, you know, especially our generation because we're of similar age, and I think it's it. I think it was quite similar for a lot of people our age, you know, that just shutting down and and not being afforded that space to you know to learn and grow emotionally. And, you know, mm. and I know that for me, it was a real detrimental effect for my life for many, many years of my life, you know, and <clears throat> I just wouldn't want that for my child today. You know, and sometimes I suppose I was with a friend, actually, and uh, the friend said if he was my child, I would have smacked his ass by now. And I went, no, you wouldn't have. I didn't take it anyway, because if it was your child, knowing you as I do, you'd be stopping and listening and finding out what the problem is, because kids don't just throw tantrums because they're throwing tantrum. You know, what's underneath mm. it? What's going on? You know, it's mm. like parent, when, us as adults, and about, well, I do know about, I was going to say, I don't know about you, Charlotte, but I do actually. You know, when we're having a meltdown, there's a reason for it. When something comes mm. up, there's a reason for it. We see a situation and we make it mean certain things about us. It's not come out of anywhere. It's come from a wound that we've been poked from way back when, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And unless we give attention to that, then, then it will always be the same, you know, definition of insanity, isn't it? <laughs> Do the same thing and expect a different result. And I'm certainly guilty of that throughout my life. I think, oh, yeah, this time it'll be different. <laughs> and it never is, yeah, you know? No, it never is, no. No, no, no. And you tell yourself, well, it's going to be different because it's a different person this time, you know, and I'm different because they're different. It's like, well, no. <laughs> No, just different circumstances, as they say. Same, same shit, just a different story. <laughs> Absolutely, it's difficult, mm. isn't it? Muddling through and trying to grow as an adult, you know, with you know not being having that emotional growth that we supposedly have, and and trying to do it now, <clears throat> it's difficult. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there is a, a theory and this is a theory. I don't I don't particularly um, agree with this. But a, a part of the psychodynamic theory in counselling is that you're you're not fully adult until you're 30. I like now, that. That's, it, now, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I like that, actually. Yeah. I mean, I've, I have heard and I don't know if it's if it's based in any sort of research and that but like for 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 me as an addict you know the day I started using this day I started growing you know as a as a perfect person mentally and emotionally Mm. I mean and if that's the truth like I really stopped growing at at a very early age and it's not until you put the drugs down that you start growing again emotionally and mentally so I wonder if that's true Mm. I don't know have you heard that one Mm. yeah yeah I I have heard that and I I think from you know people I've spoken to, I think that's quite valid. I think because you you just you just learn to deal with life in a different way, don't you? Yeah. And also, you know, this is and this is the thing that that actually the the tutor on my on my counselling course, she was very astute, very astute woman, and she said she said to me because oh, I was saying you know like somebody had died, um, somebody that I know. Um, had died and they they'd unfortunately taken an overdose and she and I said well you know why 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 did this happen like how how can we change this how can it stop and she said she said well what we all try to do is that we all try to do the best that we can with the 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 tools that we have and you just think about that and like Actually, that's true, that we're all just struggling along. And whether it's, you know, that we are having a meltdown in Aldi or whatever because of this, that or the other, you're trying to do the best that you can. And that's where that inner forgiveness comes from, mm. that, you know, I I try to be the best person that I can, but equally as well, like last Thursday, I lost my shit because somebody was parked on a in a like a road that was closed with roadworks and they were parked in it so I couldn't get past. And I lost my shit. 
and you know and you think well you know like I'm trying to do the best that I can but I'm not perfect and this guy that was parked there and he had his daughter in the car who don't think I think she was probably a bit intimidated by me because I wasn't very nice you know and you think well you know maybe he was doing the best he can because goodness knows what was going on with him yeah you know he'd gone into the shop don't know what was going on there what his relationship with his daughter was even if that was his daughter you know it's like we just don't know do we what's going on with other people no and I suppose he's trying to come from a place of self-compassion and external Mm. compassion you know Mm. trying to always sort of be loving to oneself but also try and see the other person and be loving towards them because that's all we really got you know Mm. that's what I try to do even when in Mm moments of frustration and rage and it's that stop take a breath and sometimes it's not possible but just be compassionate knowing mm-hmm. where I've been and come from and trying to be externally compassionate to other people yeah yeah and that takes practice it really does it mm-hmm. really does and it's easier when you're floating in a good headspace it's like yeah. it, it's really easy but when you're not that's the hardest time to practice this stuff and mm-hmm. you know especially around sort of trying to champion you know yeah it's, it's just it's yeah brain's just gone <laughs> god you know what it is it's because it's like eight o'clock at night and i'm it you know not about you but i get to a certain point in the evening and my brain kind of goes what are you doing why are you still alive <laughs> Mine quite often does that at about seven o'clock in the morning, to be fair. But yeah. <laughs> what can I do with it then? Yeah. Well, Charlotte, <laughs> it has been an absolute trip um, sitting and chatting to you. Um, I'm really pleased you come on and did this pre-recorded podcast, which for those that are listening or will see this on my page, um, the podcast is called um, Wonderful Humans. You can find it on Spotify or um, Apple Podcasts. You just have to put either Liz Turner in or um, Wonderful Humans. Um, and there are a few series on there. I was hosted by another platform who have the intellectual property of the podcast I did before. But heads up to everybody, I'm going to be getting all those guests back on. So um, just stay, 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 can't speak. <laughs> Stay tuned. I'm not very really <laughs> good at this tonight. I'm just saying. But thank you, Charlotte. You're oh, thank you. So are you. Like, I've got so much love for you. You've got such wealth to give to the world. And I know that sooner rather than later, you are going to get to a point where you view yourself through the lens that I view you from. And that is all I hope for you. You know, I, I, I view myself through the lens of people that love me and that's mm. a good place to be sat and I just know that you're going to get there that because you yeah. are an amazing human being I've got so much love for you you're one of them wonderful been, humans thank you it's been an absolute honor to be invited on here thank you so much oh you're welcome so thank you very much